Today on Ag News Daily. When everything turns red together and there's big, big down days in the S&P, that can sometimes cause, can, you know, uh, cause a uh, snowball effect of, of risk off or asset selling. Good afternoon and happy Market Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr and Delaney Howell here to kick things off this week. Delaney, how has your Monday been? My Monday has been pretty busy, Ashton. We just started soybean harvest yesterday, had a field ready to go. I didn't didn't get into the field there, but uh, that always just creates a busy time of year, whether it's getting in the field. I like to help make some of the meals, get to do the laundry and all that fun stuff. So harvest is upon us and so is fall. I'm really excited about that. And hopefully we'll have a fall themed episode since the 22nd, which is Wednesday is the first day of fall. I'm hoping that it actually feels like fall that day because we have a little bit of lower temperatures in the forecast here in Lubbock. So really crossing my fingers there. Yeah, it always is nice. Like a cool, crisp 60 degrees is the perfect harvest slash fall weather, in my opinion. Absolutely. I love my outfits. I'm like definitely one of those people. My outfits just look cuter in the fall. I feel better in the fall. Everything tastes better in the fall. So (laughs) I'm really excited. I am right there with you, Ashton, 100%. But we are going to, like you mentioned, hopefully have a fun fall kickoff episode on Wednesday. But in the meantime, Ashton, we've got to talk about some ag news going on for today. I'm going to kick things off here with kind of the big elephant, I think, in news for today. We chat with Dan Hussey about this here coming up in just a moment, so I won't touch on it for too long. But there is a big geopolitical event going on, or really political event going on, you could say, with the company Evergrande Group in China. And they're an investment group investing in residential real estate, about a $300 billion company that is potentially going to have to either restructure here or declare bankruptcy. And there's just a lot of questions about whether or not China will get the country, the government itself will get involved in this bankruptcy. Um, If they did have to step in and bail out the company, Like I said, that would be about $300 billion, and that would be the largest financial uh, bailout that the government would have had to do in quite some time, maybe pre-2008 is what we're talking about here. So it is definitely a big one to keep an eye on, has definitely played out in the uh, stock markets, trickled into the grain markets for today. But a lot of eyes are turned to this attention right now just to see what China does do, because we really don't have any concrete information about whether or not the Chinese government will step in. It would be my opinion that the the government will likely step in because this does impact a lot of people in China, as well as folks needing a place to live. And so basically, from what I understand, Ashton is this company, Evergrande, has put up a lot of apartment buildings, residential areas, basically declared or is maybe going to have to declare bankruptcy here. And a lot of those people that were waiting on housing would kind of be SOL. So I'm guessing the Chinese government will step in and that really has the markets nervous today. Well, another thing going on, Delaney, that has really been affecting markets or, you know, maybe kind of affecting the outlook on what exports and imports are going to really look like. Of course, 
Are the grain exports and the terminals after the slow recovery from Ida, but it looks like over the weekend that U.S. grain exports rose. So there's just some good news there. You know, I don't have a whole lot of information on that, but I figured it was a good follow up at least to kick things off from a news standpoint this week. Um, You know, not a whole lot to say there, but I will follow this up kind of on the same note here as we talk about our trade relationship with China. Ag Secretary Vilsack says that China is going to be held accountable on trade. Vilsack says that he will, quote, unquote, press the Chinese on their commitments while prioritizing the trade relationship between the two countries. What we will likely see is an effort to make sure China understands that it is our expectation and it should be their expectation that they live up to the agreements that they have made. On the other hand, Kansas Senator Jerry Morin says that China's inability to meet phase one trade agreements is negatively affecting producers. So we're seeing two different arguments here, and both Vilsack and Morin spoke at the Ag Outlook Forum earlier today in Kansas City. So I think we're definitely going to be seeing some more talks here, especially due to the state of the phase one trade deal. Ashton, you're right. And I want to come back to that. But you also mentioned there a second ago about Hurricane Ida. And I actually did have one quick update I wanted to mention there as well, because we saw today that Shell announced that their West Delta 143 offshore facility in the Gulf of Mexico is going to remain shuttered for likely the remainder of this year, which of course will put a damper on oil production. It's estimated that this closure will remove about 200,000 to 250,000 barrels per day, which leaves only about 60% of Shell's crude oil production in operation. The long-term effects is, of course, what will happen to crude oil prices and, more importantly, what's going to happen at the the gas station pump as we do continue to see a lot of facilities down there in the Gulf area being impacted by Hurricane Ida closures. So definitely a lot to unpack there, Ashton. But as you were mentioning with exports, there is a lot to unpack there as well. And as we kind of negotiate or figure out our way here to a phase two version of the trade deal, we have seen China putting in a fresh notch in their belt as far as imports go. They imported about 2.93 million tons of U.S. corn in August, which is a fresh record. Of course, they are heading into their domestic harvest season. So we are anticipating to see those exports headed to China slow down, especially coupled with the uh, issues we're having here due to getting the grain literally out of the country, as well as U.S. dollar and a couple other factors, which again, well, still too much Dan's thunder. We're going to talk about all that stuff and more. But Ashton, the bigger question is just what's going to happen with the Biden administration as we negotiate our way into some sort of phase two agreement? Well, Delaney, I have some news coming from the Biden administration once more here, and this one is pretty interesting. Of course, we talked earlier in the summer about the excessive heat and the PNW, you know, for instance, the deaths and the emergency room visits for those heat-related illnesses as people were working in that heat to help harvest and those kinds of things. Well, now President Biden has participated in a meeting of the major economies forum on energy and climate on climate change. 
And earlier today, he ordered his administration to seek ways to ensure people are protected from extreme heat, including through work-related rules and other cooling efforts. The order comes as public health and environmental groups have really put pressure on the Biden administration to create enforceable standards for outdoor workers exposed to extreme heat at a time when the number of heat days is projected to increase significantly. And like I said, um, I think this is really interesting after we've seen, you know, this really hot summer, of course, these ag jobs in the field, they're not going to change their essential jobs. So something probably should happen. And so I'm interested to see what happens and what comes from the Biden administration. So I thought it was an interesting piece of news here. And it has been said that the Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, of course, known as OSHA, will develop a process to create a workplace heat standard, and the department will enforce the standard in part through workplace inspections on days when the temperature exceeds 80 degrees. And I'm anxious to see how this works out. Like I said, these ag jobs, they're not going to change. They're not going to go away. We still need these people to, of course, be harvesting and be working in the fields, but I don't know exactly what this is going to look like moving forward. No, that's a good question, Ashton, and I don't know that as well. But one thing I do know is that a statement was issued today officially by Michael Reagan, of course, our EPA administrator, about WOTUS, the waters of the U.S. Because while we really still don't know what the Biden administration is going to do as far as rewriting this rule, he did take the time on Monday to assure folks that... The new WOTUS definition will exempt farmers and ranchers and their activities would be able to remain in place, which I think, assuming that is followed through, a lot of folks can take a breath here. I think a lot of folks were holding their breath to see would the Biden administration come in and rewrite how WOTUS impacts agriculture and ranching. And it doesn't sound like, at least according to Michael Reagan, that will be the case. I just have one other story to share with you, Delaney, and I'm hoping that maybe you can give some insight here because there's not a whole lot of information at the moment as this just happened, I believe, earlier today. But Iowa-based farm services provider New Cooperative Incorporated said that its systems were offline to contain a, quote, cybersecurity incident. The cooperative operates grain storage elevators in Iowa, buys and sells grain, and owns technology platforms for farmers. The company said earlier today in a statement, quote, we have proactively taken our systems offline to contain the threat, and we can confirm it has been successfully contained. We also quickly notified law enforcement and are working closely with data security experts to investigate and remediate the situation. And that's really all that's been said thus far. The question that I had that I was hoping we could maybe chat about, Delaney, is really what this would mean for farmers. Well, Ashton, that's a good question because you have to also consider that that's a big cooperative here in Iowa and folks are hitting the field. So I'm sure that that makes a lot of farmers nervous, a lot of data leaked. That could also make some farmers nervous. I'm not sure what to make of this yet, but let's keep our ear to the ground there. I'll see if I uh, see anything on Twitter because I know a lot of folks are very vocal when they have issues in the field. But yeah, that's a good question all around. I didn't even think of the hiccups that it would cause with harvest, you know, just kind of starting up here, but you make some good points there. So definitely going to keep my eyes out on this. 
But Delaney, I am all out of news for today. How about you? I certainly am as well, Ash. And other than chatting through today's markets, and today was a little bit of a bloodbath across the grain markets into trickling into, of course, the livestock markets as well. There's just a lot of factors weighing heavily on today's markets, and I won't steal Dan's thunder. So I'll just go ahead and kick things off here with the December corn contract closing down five and a half cents to close at 521 and three quarters. The March down four and a half to end at 529 and three quarters. Soybeans today having major losses as the November contract shedding 21 and a half cents to close at 1262 and a half. The January ending the day at 1271 and three quarters, giving up 21 cents on the day. Chicago wheat also was lower today with a December contract down eight cents to close at seven dollars, while the March down eight and a quarter to close at seven eleven and a half. Hopping over into the live cattle markets today, we saw some mixed trade as the October contract shed two and a half cents to close at one twenty two seventy seven and a half. The December up fifty five cents to close at one twenty eight oh seven and a half. And hopping over into the feeder cattle pits for today, the October contract up 30 cents to close at 156.67 and a half. The November up 52 and a half cents to close at 156.62 and a half. Lean hogs continuing to widen their spread here between first and second month contracts. The October today shed 75 cents to end at 84.97 and a half. The Dees down 82 and a half cents to close at 74.22 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, the weakness continued here into the dairy parlor as well with the October contract shedding eight cents today to close at 17.10. The November down 10 cents to close at 16.88. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Dan Hussey to chat markets for today's hashtag Market Monday episode. Well, folks, today we are joined by Dan Hussey of the Zaner Group to chat markets for today's hashtag Market Monday episode. Dan, great to have you back on. Hey, Delaney. Thanks so much for having me. So, Dan, I feel like we've got to kind of start with the big elephant in the room today, and that's talking about China, because we've seen now a couple of different outlets starting to report about this big company, big real estate company in China, potentially going bankrupt in China, maybe having to step in and pay off their debt, essentially. Give us a big overview. And then also, how is that playing out in today's markets? Sure. Well, you know, in, in the markets, we've obviously seen, and, and I mean, broader markets here, we've seen some risk off, uh, particularly in the US equity market, which, again, could be uh, a contagion of that Chinese fallout and very likely a good reason for some of that, uh, that risk off move. But yes, this, this fallout that's occurring in China is, is in, is in, um, in regard to the, uh, the the two now biggest uh, development firms and uh, with the real estate holdings starting to go under and effectively becoming a liquid, this could spiral into a more of a financial disaster. Uh, many are calling it the Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns moment for China, uh, which, as we knew back in 2008 to 2010, was the catalyst for the you know, financial fallout here and the major recession we saw there at the, the early 2000s uh, here in the United States. It's not as much, I think, questioning whether or not Chinese demand will be there for our grains. It's really a question of the risk off that we might see across broader financial markets. And more importantly, you know, the uh, the questioning of, you know, Chinese creditworthiness as they come to the international markets to make those ag purchases. Um, and while today we were, you know, 20 cents lower here in the soybeans, um, and without any export or flash sales to China uh, since last week, 
Um, I don't think it's an immediate concern for the ag market, but a broader sell-off could, of course, you know, spill over as a contagion uh, across any of our financial markets. And it certainly does feel like there are a lot of factors kind of adding up here against the soybean market. You know, you couple today's news with the fact that we're still seeing a lot of export delays and shipment issues due to Hurricane Ida. Are we are we still feeling friendly about these markets heading into harvest? You know, you could say much of the same concern we saw last year around this time, too, where we had some pressures come in. Obviously, harvest is going on. That harvest pressure might be weighing on the markets a little bit, too. Um, but we still have a pretty decent demand picture and decent demand forecast. The question for all those forecasts, though, is, of course, at what price does it encourage demand to come in? Uh, and, you know, China's still going hand to mouth with some of those soybean purchases. Obviously, some constraints to our own supply side, our ability to supply uh, that demand here from Ida uh, and, of course, rising freight costs across, across the United States and for cross uh, interpacific uh, freight as well um, are all, you know, working against. And the one, you know, kind of elephant in the room we haven't talked about is the rising U.S. dollar. The Dixie mm -hmm. has been up now uh, and at trading at its effectively very close to its highest levels for, for the year. Um, that's still, you know, remarkably lower than where the dollar was this time last year. Uh, but that is, of course, you know, a trade win that is working against all of our export markets, you know, whether it's corn, wheat or beans at this time. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about the rising strength of the dollar here. Sure. So the Dixie has been otherwise caught, and that's a basket of currencies that we look at, uh, mostly weighted to the euro. Uh, but it's still nevertheless a, a decent indicator for the broader strength or weakness of the currency. Uh, for those that are unaware, it's a way of measuring the purchasing power for our foreign export partners. Uh, when they come to do business in the U.S., they obviously have to buy dollars with their foreign currency. And the cheaper they're able to afford those dollars, the more of a discount they're effectively getting in their own currency to buy our agricultural goods. So a rising U.S. dollar is a uh, works against our purchasing or the purchasing power of those export partners, in this case, China, uh, and is oftentimes uh, used as a gauge of whether or not China wants to come to the U.S. markets or to South American markets to get some of that business done. So the dollar has uh, been trading in a range between 93 and 92 since uh, last January. We're trading at 92.60 here today, uh, and we've been on the rise for the last two weeks and, um, and have shown some pretty good technical reasons for why the dollar might want to strengthen a little further now that we have this flight to safety or a risk-off move happening in the broader financial markets, like the big down day we have today in the Dow and the S&P. That can cause a flight to safety to the U.S. dollar and a strengthening of our currency, which then has an adverse effect for all of our commodity exports. Dan, you're using the term risk on and risk off. Mm -hmm. And while I think you obviously know very well what that means, explain to us a little bit more how you use that from a producer standpoint. So it's just a general term we use to, to kind of describe if you were to look at all of the commodities and assets you can look at, whether it's individual stock names stock indices, gold, silver, oil, uh, our agricultural products. If you look at any of those traded financial markets, risk on and risk off is generally associated with the, the risk appetite for fund managers, investors, and speculators in the marketplace. When everything turns red together and there's big, big down days in the S&P, that can sometimes cause, can, you know, uh, cause a, a snowball effect of, of risk off or asset selling across all the 
all of our markets. Uh, and that's usually because there's margin calls involved with many things that need to be met. So if a fund manager needs to liquidate some of his S&P position, instead of doing that, he might liquidate other positions he has in gold, silver, soybeans, uh, or any other product he might be exposed to in a way of meeting those margin calls. It's a very simple way of saying that, hey, if, if the value of our markets or the dollar is going up and there's a flight to safety and quality, market is less willing to take on speculative risk and a risk on or risk off move might be, um, might be a broader way of looking at some of that outside contagion that's affecting like our agricultural market today. So selling pressure and big down days might cause fear um, from our speculative, the speculative side of the industry. Perfect. That was a great way to explain that, Dan. I certainly appreciate that. But let's dig in a little bit more here. We talked soybean. Let's talk corn for a moment. We've seen mm -hmm. three trading sessions lower now. I know that this is normal harvest pressure, but at what point do we, well, I guess one, where do we have a level of support? And at what point do we hit that level of support and bounce off of that? Or will we break through it? Well, and arguably, we might have already tapped that level last week with that capitulation, the quick sell-off for a moment there for December corn below $5. The quick snapback we saw in 40 cent rally off of those lows uh, was a pretty impressive uh, move to say the least. The selling pressure that we've seen in the last couple sessions might just be a, a short-term retracement. And today's close, even though down five cents, uh, was a solid uh, eight cents off of the low for the day. So it was you know, a decent recovery and we were able to close back within Friday's range. So not saying that that's enough to consider it a reversal here uh, today, but that's certainly the start of what could be an intraday reversal that into tomorrow, if we see some of that momentum continue to the upside, we recover corn back towards the highs of the month at 537.5, we might very well already have that harvest low in place with that quick dip below $5. Um, but if we do start to trade back below that level or head lower, um, you know, corn has some trend lines down around 470 that I'm very interested in. There's a area of, of, of uh, congestion, as I like to call it. It was the old resistance from last year that we fought to break above at the 450 mark that then we did break above at the start of this year, tested as support into March and April, and found then that a uh, almost $2 rally to the 638 contract highs for December corn. Coming down to that area of 470 to 450, I think much like I believe we'll get to in a moment, talking about a, a level around the $12 mark for soybeans might be very similar levels if we see uh, continued pressure in this market and would be a level that I think we'd see some demand come back into the picture uh, for both those markets. The last level, I think that's really important to watch on the December corn chart is an open gap we have from early April at 477.5. That's been a gap that we've left open on the charts for uh, the last uh, five months now. And uh, if corn were to dip below $5, that would be the next area of interest for me. Dan, really quickly, give us your areas of support here for the soybean market as well. Sure. Uh, soybeans have a similar area of congestion around $12. The level we fought to get above here to start the year, we fought to stay above uh, there in March and April, and then led to the rally, $2.80 rally from $12 to $4.80 contract highs. Uh, soybeans also have the from contract lows to contract highs, a full 50% Fibonacci level around 11.50. So I believe the $12 to about 11.50 mark, I know it's a pretty big 50 cent range, but as volatile as soybeans have been, uh, if we start to head down to that area, uh, coupled with maybe 
the US dollar turning it a little lower, I think that would be a value area where our export partners and generally demand for soybeans would really be encouraged. Dan, let's switch tracks here a little bit and chat livestock, especially sure. live cattle. I mean, we've really seen them come off some high prices here. We've really seen them pull back pretty much across the board. Uh, mm -hmm. We put in a high. And again, where do we see some levels of support here for, let's say, October and December live cattle? Sure. Uh, you know, in, in live cattle happen to be one of those markets that as well, we talked about risk on and risk off before. They happen to be a market that I think trades uh, with a little bit of speculative interest behind it and can be very much more prone to that risk on risk off trade. So when we see this selling pressure coming in the S&P 500, it has a tendency, in my opinion, to weigh on the live cattle markets a little bit more than some of our agricultural products. And that's generally speaking, because beef is a bull market trend um, and quite literally and figuratively in that uh, regard. Um, the 125 to 126 area for December cattle uh, and the 122 to 120 figure for uh, October live cattle happen to be the supportive area that we are holding to start this year's rally that took us up to contract highs for both those contracts respectively. We've come down to test those levels and the gap down uh, and then consequently reversal we saw uh, a week ago. Uh, then the, the the very strong gap higher we saw to kind of start a bit of a bounce here in the last uh, last week of price action. That area has continued to prove support even here today with a pretty impressive snapback uh, off of the lows that might be signaling more of a low in place in the short time frame here uh, going into the mark, uh, end of September. Now the highs that we made in contract for the 132 area in October. Uh, this is 132.85. Uh, and the 138.22 half highs there for December cattle. Um, at those levels, we started to get pretty far off of our cash prices. And I think that uh, the market needed to, to converge with cash, if you will, here over the last couple of weeks. And we saw some pretty big profit taking from the long trend. However, that profit taking took us right back down to the early support that we found this year. We've, we've held those levels now for two solid tests over a two week time frame. If we don't break below 126 December cattle and below 120 October cattle, I actually think we might be forming more of a low here, uh, which would give the opportunity for the market to rebound. And then we could start talking about a retest of those contract mm -hmm. highs. Dan, really quickly here before we wrap things up, lean hog markets. We've seen a spread, the spread continue to widen here between the first and second months. How much wider do you think it's going to go? I think we've may have hit a bit of an extreme there as well. And uh, you could make the same argument between our front month October contract and the cash market as well, the cash index, uh, hitting very, very seasonally large uh, levels that are typically quite tighter within a dollar or two, uh, getting as much as 15 and $16 wide is pretty large there for the cash and, and the uh, Octobers. Now, looking between the Octobers and Decembers, I think we might have hit an extreme there as well. Uh, and in both those markets, we have traded back down into that, similarly to corn, where we talked about that contract 50% level, both October and December lean hogs have traded down into some key technical levels uh, around their 50% retracements from their contract lows to the contract highs. Um, seeing today's rebound in live hogs, or lean hogs, excuse me, uh, although it was an outside day to the downside, a lower low and a lower high. Closing where we did back within the range of last week uh, and really putting some pressure back to the highs of the day uh, into the close is 
fairly supportive in my opinion. And if we watch those spreads start to reverse as well, I think we'll see that that bull market uh, resume here in the outright contracts as well. Fantastic. Well, Dan, it was great to have you on today. But before we let you go, if folks want to connect with you on social media or otherwise, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. You guys can all find me on my probably the best place on my strategy or Dan SOTD page on Facebook. You can always give me a call here at Zaner at 312-277-0110 or find me at Daniel Hussey Jr. on Twitter. I'm always up for a good conversation. Fantastic. Well, Dan, thank you again so much to chat. It's great to chat with you today. Thanks, Delaney. Have a good one. And we'll be back with you hopefully sometime soon. Well, again, a big thank you there to Dan for coming on and chatting markets with us. It's going to be exciting too, Ashton. We've got today's crop progress report and harvest progress report coming out just shortly after we record the podcast today. So it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts the markets because I'm definitely hearing some varied yields coming out of the fields. Well, folks are just going to have to tune into tomorrow's episode as we really dissect that, Delaney, so they can tune in at agnewsdaily.com or wherever they find their podcasts. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.